Hey friends, welcome to episode 36 of the Lucky Few Podcast, where we are shifting the narrative by shouting the worth of people with Down syndrome. This is Micah, Mercedes, and Heather. And today we are really thankful that you are here joining us for um, a pretty difficult but important conversation. And before we jump in, I just want to let all of you out there know that this is not a conversation for little ears. So just want you to have some discretion and maybe take a second to turn it off and then turn it back on later when you're ready. Today we're going to be talking about um, a hard conversation. It's it's about sexual abuse in the Down syndrome community, and um, we're really really excited that our friend Lindsay Strickland is here to talk to us about it, and we'll introduce her in a little bit. But um, first, I just want to say hi to my girls here. <laughs> Heather and Mercedes, hi. 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 You guys, we all made it back to our houses. I know. <laughs> We're back. We home. are all in the same time zone, even though last week, uh, when we last recorded together, we were in North Carolina, New Mexico, and Hawaii, all at the same time. <laughs> We're funny. And now it's BTS season. That means back to school. Oh, back BTS. School. That is it acronym i've never heard before me either are you, you are joking no well, i no, probably I have seen it and then just never took the time to be like what does the b stand for the t <laughs> and the s <laughs> and now you just told me thank you <laughs> i did not make that up that's been around forever <laughs> well maybe i just feel like i've done maybe i've done campaigns on social media and it's like the bts i don't know campaign with whatever brand you're so Anyways, cool i also you it's really hard are. to say back to school so oh it is really hard it's sad it's hard to say back to school and for all the listeners out there september we're going to be giving you some episodes with back to school content i think today's episode is extremely important for those of us who have school-age kids as well so we wanted to yeah. get this on but knowing that people are headed back but this episode is going to come out next week but truly my true babe started school today third grade She's at a Spanish dual immersion charter school. And then Augie and Macy start school tomorrow. Wow. What? Lord have mercy on us. So goodness <laughs> gracious. I By know. the way, we should say that it is, it is barely August. I know. It is. I mean, we're recording on August. What's the date? 7th, 6th, yes. 6th. It's still summer month. That's a summer month. It's the month. middle of summer. Yes. It's the middle of summer. <laughs> fact, Basically, middle. my kids are in summer school. Um, but Mason's going to fifth grade. August going into kinder. And we're going. Here we go, friends. Man. And as those of you listening who have school-aged children with Down syndrome, it's not just like, hey, drop off. See ya. See you after school. It's like a lot, you know? It's a <laughs> lot of prep, a lot of anxiety, a lot of so many things, guys. <laughs> mm. How are you so feeling? Um, well, we've met Macy and Augie's teachers uh, yesterday. And so I'm feeling actually really good about that 
But then we also okay. found out Mason's aide didn't come back, so we're starting the year without a, without an aide mm. and a permanent spot, and that feels Ugh. unbelievably frustrating, right? Um, for lots of reasons. But the, it's just like the thing I I feel like the thing my kids need the first week or two of school is consistency, structure, expectation, totally. routine. And the first week and a half or a couple weeks of school, it's like an SHIT show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, do we have to put explicit if I say, if I spell it? So I don't it, think so. <laughs> don't think so Let's just say the S word. <laughs> it's already, we already said sensitive ears should not listen. So, oh yeah, um, we can go hard today. Hard oh my today. gosh. We won't. <laughs> Anyways, that feels frustrating. Like, we'll get it all figured out. I'm like, but my kids need it figured out on day one, yeah. like for success. So yeah. just being prayerful and cautious and aware that it might be a rough couple weeks but it might be rad it might be great so Mm -hmm. going with the flow y'all anyone familiar with that anybody ever heard of that (laughs) (laughs) oh shoot um merce what are you doing for school this year oh my goodness guys well i am jumping in full force homeschooling and it feels wild. I'm also Whoa. very pregnant, so I just feel like it's going to be a wild ride. And, you know, everything, I like to start things, and then sometimes if I have to change it, I will. Yeah. <laughs> so we will start um, with homeschool. I have a great community of a ton of moms who also homeschool, so I won't feel alone. Um, and it's through a charter program. We're going to be heavily focusing on... Sunflower swimming. So this is weird. You so through That's our awesome. charter program, you get charter funds, and you could do um, approved curricular activities. So I'm me, and um, I always include Mrs. Brown because I basically just use her system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> me and Mrs. Brown are gonna take care of all of Sunny's like. Meat and potatoes, education stuff. Yeah. And then um, I'm going to be using the charter funds for sign language and swimming. So this this semester, and I'm really excited about that. Um, And then Rhodes is TK. So I just lump him in with what Sunny's doing. And um, he does really well. Uh, And then come spring, I think he's going to be joining the school people's. And, um, <laughs> what does that mean? Like go, like go to school, into the school, okay. into the school system, into, like, the public school, like your that sounds so creepy. He's going school. into the system. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he's yes. going to be traditional. Um, and he's really excited about that and that'll be a different challenge. And I think we'll have to reevaluate sunflower as she will not. I can already imagine she will not love seeing her brother go to school and not herself. Mm. So that's what I mean. Like, we're just going to take this semester to do what we do. And then we're going to reevaluate once Rhodes is of age to jump into public school. Yeah. So that's me. Check back as always. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm I'm so impressed, Mercedes. That sounds really amazing. I'm excited. I you just like you're just so chill. You can just like roll with stuff like this. I just imagine me destroying everyone in my house if I tried to teach them. I feel like um, when I get to that point, then we go to the pool. So I don't know. This is why I get nervous of me homeschooling. I'm, I'm always like, okay, I've, I'm holding this pencil too tight. I need to. I need to now 
We're not going to practice our letters or our names. We're going to go to the pool. <laughs> so. See, that's what I need. If I was living in SoCal and it was sunny, yeah. then outside, then maybe I could survive as a mother. <laughs> yes. maybe, maybe, maybe I'd be a better mom. If, if we you could, could go, go outside. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. What are you, when are your kids starting, Micah? They start, well, my oldest starts next week. He's starting middle school. What? Oh, dear. And so sixth grade, here we come. And he's going to ride the public bus. What? <laughs> I love this. Like the city bus. Like, like the a city, city boy. Bus. I love it. The Muni. Yes. Like, Get like it, a August. real city boy. He's so excited. Um, so I'm hoping that I can just like be brave with him. And... Um, then, so I've, again, have three kids at three schools this year, but I think I'm going to, it's going to be more sane because August is going to ride the city bus. Um, Brooksy, I'll be dropping off and then Ace is getting picked up by the school bus this year. So, um, I just got his assignment yesterday for the school bus and I think he's going to love it. And it's going to give me back almost three hours of my life. I can't um, even believe day. it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. 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 That's 15 hours a week. That's like two yeah, full like, work days. That's how I'm going to write a book. There because it is, Ace is going to ride the school yes. bus. <laughs> Get it. Everybody's on a bus. Okay. I love Get on this. Buses. Yes. And I want you to talk to me about this one day because like, are you going to send August on the city bus with like mace and maybe like a knife yeah. or whatever? She lives in San Francisco, people. So this is what I think of combat. I'm like, okay, if things were to go wrong. If I gave him a knife, it would just, it would be the worst disaster okay. I've ever heard. Um, I, I feel pretty safe on, okay, good. on city buses. Um, and he's had a lot of experience and we're going to do a few run throughs. Yeah. And um, it's, it's a straight shot. So I'll be, when I drop off awesome. Brooks, I'll drop him off at the, at the bus stop, which is like a mile from his school and just oh, straight down that road. Yeah. So he'll ride part of the way and then I'll let him go the other half. Um, and that's awesome. He's going to go with a friend, but in general, the buses have, are safe and have always been a safe experience for us. So I, I think, love it. I think it's going to go great. He's, um, he does have like one of those little GPS watches yes. that oh, yes. have you heard of these that yes. can like call two numbers. And so he could call me or Chris and, and we can see where he is. And then he's like, otherwise I, cause I didn't want to get him a phone. He's not ready for a phone. Yeah. Um, so this is all like, I'm trying to give him more independence Yeah, that's and great. he's really excited for it. And so I'm proud of you. That's really cool. Thanks. <laughs> oh my gosh. See, I don't know if everybody's proud. Some people out there are I'm like, she's a bad mom. No way. I would never I do that it. to my kid. I feel no like way. I need to take my kids on a field trip on the city bus because I feel like on living in a city, it's common. Yes. Um, and I'm in the middle of suburbia. So everybody drives everywhere. Mm-hmm. And no, I feel like that's really good. I feel like you learn. Um, lessons you can only learn by exposing yourself to public transportation. Yeah. And I like need to do it myself. So I don't fear. And I don't say things like, do you need a knife? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where your child be safe. <laughs> well, you 
know. All the people listening in the city who have basically been riding the bus by themselves since they were 11 are just like, come on, come on, suburbia girl. You got it. I'm scared about taking Ubers. It's like a whole thing. It's just because I don't do it. We're going to have another conversation about fears. About <laughs> we'll do an we'll do episode about fears. promoting independence in your children. Yes. And in yourselves. And in yourselves. <laughs> I'll keep you guys updated. I may be like crying in fear the first week of school and maybe like I will take those three hours back and drive you everywhere, children. But yes. for now, okay. I'm feeling good about this choice. So, um, I feel like I actually could, can transition in a way from this to our guest, I think I can make the connection friends, because I think that the idea of being fearful when your kids are out of your sight, um, is just mm. a real thing. And I, and I know for me with my kids, with all of them, cause truly still super young, but with my kids who have down syndrome, it's like, if they're not, if I don't have my eyes on them, so much can happen and on a city bus or at school or anywhere, anywhere, literally that they are not in my care, there's a lot of fear here, and um, I'm really excited to bring our friend Lindsay Strickland on the show today to talk about the just the truth and the important conversation around child sexual abuse and the Down syndrome community. She's doing a really important work, and I think going back to school, too, I know she and I have had a couple of private conversations, um, just like what are resources that I can use with Macy, and we'll talk about some of that here, but so Lindsay uh, Strickland is... A mother to four kids. She has two girls and two boys, and she has a son, Ben, who has Down syndrome. Um, Lindsay and I met at the Lucky Mamas Retreat in Austin, Texas in 2018, and she's, um, something I love about Lindsay is she loves to, like, show up at events, and she comes to all the things, and she's a good <laughs> time, too, but she started this online platform that's called Worth the Conversation, and it equips families to prevent child sexual abuse against our kids who have Down syndrome. And it is worth the conversation. Mm -hmm. It's a topic I think a lot of parents either don't think about unless it's too late or unless it, because it feels so far away or so like, oh, that will never happen to me. You know, mm -hmm. that will yeah. never happen to my kid. And she talks about it in a way that is important and educational and not fear based, like not fearful. It's equipping us as parents. So after this long introduction, which you guys don't know this necessarily, but our poor guests listen to all of this silliness before they come on. <laughs> Just sitting there on Skype staring at us. Lindsay, welcome to <laughs> the Lucky Few Podcast. I'm welcome, so Lindsay. happy you're here. Oh, wow. I'm happy to be here. Yay. Tell us where you're from. Tell us a little bit more about your family too. Sure. So um, we live in Seattle, Washington. I am currently on vacation with some of our best family friends. So I'm sitting in a closet in rural <laughs> Washington in the mountains, but actually it works out better because there are other people to help with the kids right now. Um, so I have, as Heather said, I have, um, two girls ages nine and almost 11 and then two boys. Um, they're both six, uh, not officially twins. We adopted Ben who has down syndrome, um, from China in 2016 when he was three years old. So it has been quite a three, three years wow. of learning and medical stuff. And, um, yeah, it's been a wild ride. Um, 
Where do you live? Yeah. And where do, did you already say that? Sorry, you're in Washington now, but you don't live in Washington. We live in Seattle. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We're originally from the East Coast, but Seattle is home now. So I totally get Micah's rainy days and city life and all of that. Yeah. <laughs> and then Riding we'll the bus. All, yes, for bus <laughs> Heart life. connections. Um, will you, all four of your kids be going to school, to public school, or what's your school situation? I was listening to you guys talking about that very interesting. Um, so we live two blocks from a wonderful public school and my three of my kids currently go there. I homeschooled Ben last year while we were in transition and figuring out some medical stuff. Um, and it went really well, Mercedes. It was, it went really well. Um, you'll love it. I mean, I, I say that and I'm sending him to school this year (laughs) (laughs) and I'm okay with that. That's what I feel like. I'll be like, I'll be like, and I loved it. And so now we're in school. (laughs) They all take the bus. (laughs) Knives in pockets. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He learned so much. I mean, he learned so much and it was a really good year for me to realize what he's capable of. You know, it really was. And Mrs. Brown was a huge help. Mm. (laughs) We used many of her materials, but, um, he is, I registered him for school in February to start kindergarten. And, um, it's been a bit of a mess. I won't get into all of that here, but there is no plan right now for him. He's Mm -hmm. registered as a gen ed student at our neighborhood school. They've never had a child with down syndrome. He's due for his evals and his IEP and the school system has not been working with us. So anyway, that is not what this is about, but. (laughs) Well, but welcome to the club, everybody. Seriously. (laughs) Here we are. Yeah. Sorry to hear that, Lindsay. That's so stressful. Yeah, it is. Okay. So I want to talk about worth the conversation and tell us what it is. And I guess in that, how you got there. So whatever, whatever makes sense to explain first. Sure. So, um, my background is in sexual assault advocacy. Um, right out of college, I did, um, some case management for at-risk families with young children. And, um, I worked a lot with child protective services. I know it's it's called something a little different in each state, uh, but we were in Virginia at the time. And, um, so that was sort of my first, um, I, I was familiar with sexual abuse. We had I had foster siblings growing up, um, so I understood the effects and just the devastation that it can cause um, in a family and children. But um, my first really working with the system was that first job right out of college. Um, and then that led into working at a sexual assault crisis center as a child advocate and I love, I mean, I love that job. It was my absolute dream job. Um, so I played the role of, um, well, the same thing that our IEP advocates do, right? So walking the family through an overwhelming process, helping them understand um, all the systems. So anywhere from um, reporting the initial abuse, helping them understand if it is something they need to report, um, and then walking them through the investigation, working with detectives, um, working with the district attorneys. Um, I would help prepare families for the court process and sit with them in court, um, particularly help teenagers. They, you, they, 
try very hard that the child does not have to confront an abuser in mm-hmm. a court setting. Right. Um, that's best practices to not have to do that. But there are teenagers who are willing to do that and that's what feels empowering for them and that's what they want to do. So um, I would help them write their victim impact statement and um, just be a safe person in the courtroom for them. Um, so I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, as you can imagine, I heard all kinds of stories mm. from all different kinds of people. You know, it's not just one group or one socioeconomic class that experiences this. It's, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and with that, I, um, with hearing all those stories and oh, another big piece I did was community education. So, um, we would do stuff in schools, working with parents. And we also had, um, a great curriculum that we would do in the schools with kids, just teaching them to trust their gut, um, teaching body boundaries and, um, empowering them. And, um, and then we would do community education with volunteer groups and, um, parent groups in churches. Churches was a big one. Um, so a lot of different pieces there. Um, one of my favorite things to do, um, was a support group where we took, um, girls to a animal sanctuary where they did equine therapy. Mm. And that was, that was amazing. Horses are great at teaching us about natural boundaries and Mm -hmm. resilience. That's amazing. amazing. Um, so then tell us, tell us about worth the conversation, what it is. And then I want you to give us like some risk factors too, some mm. stats, some risk factors. Sure. Okay. So <clears throat> knowing all of this, um, I definitely went into parenting um, with teaching my kids um, prevention strategies. Mm. There's books. I'll list, you know, I have those on my website, worththeconversation.com. Um so I was very intentional in teaching my kids about appropriate boundaries and appropriate touch, um, and trying to empower them. So when we adopted Ben, I, it really threw me for a loop knowing that he's more at risk. So, um, children with intellectual disabilities are at least three times, um, Mm. some statistics say up to 10 times, but, um, consistently statistics say three times more likely to experience some type of sexual abuse. Mm. And, um, that can mean a number of things, um, just to define what we're talking about when we're talking about sexual abuse. Um, that can be inappropriate touch outside of the clothes, under the clothes. Um, it can be exposing a child to inappropriate sexual material, um, showing them pictures, taking pictures of children. Um, so it can be a number of things. Um, and I should take a moment to say, um, we understand, I think all of us here understand that, um, this is something that many of our listeners could have experienced or have Mm -hmm. experienced. And if you haven't personally experienced sexual abuse, then you most definitely know somebody who has. So, um, I just want to be sensitive in saying that we understand that um, and that this conversation is going to be about empowering, not here to tell triggering stories. Although I know that um, this conversation in and of itself could be that, but my hope is that in the hope of worth the conversation is to provide tools to empower parents and to empower our community. Mm -hmm. Um, So knowing that statistic, I, 
it freaked me out. <laughs> right. I know a little bit too much. Mm. Um, but, um, the more that I got to know the down syndrome community, I realized that, I mean, this statistic might be higher for us than it is in the general public with typically developing kids, but we are such a unique community. I really feel that we can tackle this. Mm-hmm. Um, that it doesn't have to be this way. Um, and that was a piece that I didn't know when Ben first came home and when we first became a part of this community. Um, so, okay. So some of the risk factors, um, our kids are, um, a communication is a big piece. Hmm. So, um, please jump in at any point too, if you have, okay. <laughs> if you want to stop me with anything. Um, so let's see, I want to make sure I'm looking at my notes. So our kids, you know, why are the statistics higher? A lot of it has to do with, um, their lack of communication, mm-hmm. um, or not understanding the nuances of communication. Um, and they rely on others for their, for their bathroom needs. They're in mm-hmm. diapers a little bit longer. Um, they need a lot of physical help with that sort of thing. Um, and then another thing that is not something that we might think about, but with all of the therapies, with all of the medical interventions, um, there can be, we can unintentionally teach them to be compliant to authority yeah. figures. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a tough one because we need them to be compliant in these situations, but, um, that's not something other kids are necessarily having to do constantly listen to this person that you're in a one-on-one situation with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they're just simply exposed to a lot more caregivers, a lot more adults, you know? Um, and then we also, don't tend to teach them, um, about their bodies, Hmm. um, or about, um, privacy and boundaries as early as we might teach our other kids. Hmm. Um, and I think that just comes along with, we're kind of following the cues of their development. Um, and I know for me personally, you know, sometimes I treat Ben like he's younger than the other kids. Hmm. Um, and he's cute and cuddly and sitting on somebody's lap. And every now and then I have to, oh, wait, he's six years old. Like he doesn't yeah. need to be doing that. The other six-year-olds aren't sitting on, <laughs> you know, a, a adult's lap. Um, right. So those, those are some of the initial um, things that put our kids a little bit more at risk mm-hmm. uh, than maybe a typically developing child. Yeah. I know with Mason, I think a lot of it is she's so uninhibited. Like she's like, oh, I'll be naked around anybody anytime, you know, I can just, and that's just her. And, and I'm like, babe, we can't do this anymore. So I think that I don't know if you found that too. That's what I think of for risk factor with Macy. Like she's just so great being in her body, you know, like <laughs> here I am. <laughs> that freaks me out. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, Well, and I know Heather, you and I have talked before, like, are there certain things that we can, what are the certain things we can do? Um, I know when I've been, um, with some of the moms in Seattle who have kids with Down syndrome, 
you know, they say, okay, well, what age do I teach? What am I teaching at what age? What developmental level am I teaching things? And it took me a little while um, to wrap my mind around this for our kids with developmental delays because the material out there for typically developing kids really does sort of follow a little bit of a timeline and um, and sort of stages of when different things could be taught. But for us, I really came to the realization that we have to equip, equip our entire community with a mindset. Like there's mm. not a certain lesson that's given at a certain time, but really it's about um, teaching our kids to have a healthy sense of their self and of their body and have some body autonomy um, and then minimi- learning how to minimize opportunity and then holding the people and organizations accountable that work with our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I found that there was a lot of information about teaching our kids about puberty um, mm-hmm. and then healthy adult relationships. Like there are some really great books out there that are fun to read about um, like how to ask somebody out on a date. You know, when is it okay to hold their hands? I mean, it is so cute. Yeah. And I'm so thankful for all of that. But I think it has to start much earlier than puberty Mm -hmm. um, when we start teaching them these healthy boundaries, especially because we know our kids need that repetition and consistency and modeling. Um, So really, I created Worth the Conversation just to help empower parents. to start early with all of these things. Hmm. I love that, Lindsay. And I feel like that's kind of a conversation that we've had, um, the three of us have had several times, just about like Heather talk, how Heather has talked about adoption with all three of her kids their entire lives, you know, or, or like having an ongoing conversation with my typically developing boys about sex in a way that is, is has been fitting for their age all along the way and adding on as we need to as they grow. And it and it sounds a little bit like that's what you're talking about too that this needs to be a conversation that we're having in an appropriate way with our kids with down syndrome as they develop where we're teaching them boundaries in an appropriate way and so that it's not just like now you've hit puberty let's talk about you know appropriate ways people should touch you but where it's always in a a repetitive conversation we're having in the bathroom with them or when they're taking a bath or um, what what do you think that should look like to have that kind of ongoing conversation? Well, initially just um, helping your child have some ownership over their body. So um, knowing the correct names for their body parts sounds so simple, but it's really important. especially if something were to happen, um, your child needs to have the language in order to, um, you know, accurately describe what has happened. Um, and even if they can't say the correct words for their private parts, we should be using them, Mm -hmm. um, so that they're familiar with that. So when we ask them a question, um, they, you know, not using silly words that could kind of mean anything. Um, and so many, uh, so many situations are child sexual abuse is very difficult to prosecute for a number of reasons, mm. but a lot of it is that the child's information just isn't 
reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, and because they don't have the language to use for it. So, so equipping them with, um, the language, whether or not, I mean, my son is not very verbal at all, but he knows what his penis is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so just, that's a really simple thing to equip them with knowledge about their body. And then, um, understanding that it's okay to say no. Um, if somebody wants to hug or kiss you, um, I, I have made this mistake many times just telling Ben, Oh, go give them a hug or a kiss. Mm -hmm. And, and he, um, sometimes he wants to, and sometimes he doesn't. So, um, if he doesn't want to give somebody a hug, then he shouldn't have to. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's not always an appropriate situation when you're meeting somebody new for the first time, you know, coaching them and giving a handshake or a high five or a fist bump or, or whatever, helping them know that there are other ways to greet a person. Um, because as our children get older, we want them to know that they need to, they need to be respected. Um, but they also need to respect others. Yeah. Um, and so just having a sense of owning your own body um, will help them know if, if something's inappropriate so that they can say no. Um, what are your thoughts on, like, um, I've listened to parents talk about when their babies are babies, like in diapers, like saying, I'm going to change your diaper now, like letting them know that you're going to be touching their body. Um, and I'll be honest, sometimes all that feels a little bit too, too much for me, like a little too extreme, but what are your thoughts like as, as being in the professional space that starting as the parent, how much permission do we need to tell our children we should be asking when at different stages? Does that make sense? That question? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and with children with different abilities, we already have so many things we're trying to cover the bases of. Right. So like we have all these like things we should be doing and ways we should be talking to them. And so, yeah, I do hesitate to say every time you change your child's diaper, um, tell them what you're doing. But I do think that that can be part of your family culture so that it just becomes a natural, um, a natural way that you speak. So, you know, your newborn baby, no, we let's, we don't need to go to that extreme, sure. but as child, do you consent newborn baby to my changing your diaper? Consent. <laughs> I think there are people who that, no, it's yes, there are, there are. Yes. And if that's sure. you, you do you right. <laughs> if listener, <laughs> that feels like a healthy boundary in your home, you know? Um, <laughs> but, um, as our kids do get a little bit older, as they get to the stage where, they're exploring themselves because mm-hmm. that is a very natural thing to explore your body. Um, let them know like what their body parts are and it doesn't have to be every diaper change, you know, but it can just be a natural part of conversation. Um, just so they know that it is part of their body. It's not something they have to be ashamed about. Um, but then as you're cleaning their diaper, you can say, you know, mommy or daddy, cleaned you, um, or talk about how the doctor can look at their private parts to keep them healthy when mommy or daddy are in the room. So just little things in conversations, um, changing their diaper. I'm going to put your diaper back on you now because we keep our private parts private. Um, 
just little things like that, um, weaving into your everyday conversation. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. not, it's not necessarily about a set of rigid rules, but just about a general mindset of helping them with that repetition of what are appropriate boundaries, helping them understand what privacy is. Um, you know, we, right now we're on vacation with friends who have a little boy with autism and, you know, it's a sensory thing for him. As soon as we get back, he wants to strip down Mm. and, um, and for him, it's a sensory thing and who wouldn't want to be free, you know? Mm -hmm. So they've just put some boundaries around it. We're in a house with, you know, 14 people and, but that is a need that he has. So they tell him, you know, go upstairs, change your clothes. You can be naked for a little bit, but when you come back down, you know, put your pajama bottoms on. Um, and that's great. You know, it gives him the freedom of what he needs to do, but he knows that there's a time and a place for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of other questions, but go too. ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, I feel like you've touched on something that like I've thought about cause sunflower is my first. And I think about worth the topics that you're bringing up with your, um, worth the conversation when it comes to sunflower, just knowing that she's more susceptible and I, maybe that she's a girl. So I put a little bit more emphasis on her being vulnerable and she has very low speech. So, um, I remember sending her to preschool and the way they checked the diapers what they would like pat the butt and like pat the front. And I remember not liking that. And so I pulled her out. <laughs> but I just I, I just, love that Mercedes there's just awesome. certain things that I can't get past sometimes and maybe that's even like a underlying reason why I'm like oh I just want to keep you home until you can be potty trained I mean there's so many different reasons and I think she's really developed um and met some great milestones while being at home but one of the things that really kind of just worries me is her like wanting to have her mainstream but also wanting her to have a one-on-one and that one-on-one would have to help her with the restroom Mm -hmm. so much and be so involved and I don't know I just I just don't like that I want her to be as independent as possible um so that she has I guess I guess that she could have more ownership over her body you know with the lack of potty training um, or the lack of being able to go to the restroom on her own, which first of all, she has no real desire to do that, but <laughs> we're working on it. Um, I just feel like it just makes her vulnerable and it, um, I don't love that. And I want to trust others and I do, she goes to different things, but that everyday school thing really kind of is a challenge for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I feel the same way. Um, my son, when he was in preschool, his teachers, and I really appreciated this, they would put their initials and the time that the diaper was changed on the diaper. So with a Sharpie, they would initial it so I would know who changed it right. and then um, write the time that it was changed. Um, so even just asking for little things like that, okay. um, having a system in place is right. very important. Right. Um, and so my oldest daughter, when she three years old, starting a new preschool. Um, we had just moved to a new city. It was our first go around in Seattle and I was feeling intimidated. Yeah. Um, 
by everything new. And she had a male teacher and I could not figure out if the school had any bathroom policies. Um, Three-year-olds could still need help in the bathroom, you know, even a pretty independent three-year-old. And um, I couldn't figure out if they had any policies. And, you know, I, even with my background and feeling pretty bold about talking about this stuff, I still did not want to offend the male teacher, Hmm. you know? Um, But ultimately I, I just had to tell them, I asked if they had any bathroom policies and they didn't. Um, And so I just had to tell them, you know, we're teaching our daughter that only her, a female can help her in the bathroom. And even so that's minimally um, that she only needs minimal help in the bathroom. Um, And so we asked them just to help us be consistent with what we're teaching her at home and to only have the female teacher help her. And they were really receptive. They're like, wow, we had never thought of that. Um, Thank you for bringing that up. Um, They weren't offended. So I really, I really think that um, part of all of this is educating the community Mm -hmm. surrounding your child. Um, So when we have a babysitter, if, um, you know, if it's going to be during a time where Ben is having a diaper change or using the toilet, I will tell the babysitter exactly what our expectations are and how he uses the potty. And then I will tell Ben, you know, so-and-so is going to help you use the potty today. Um, just so he has, even if he, I mean, he could care less, right? Like he Mm -hmm. could care less who's helping him with the bathroom, which is part of the problem, but it's just how it is. Um, (laughs) Like he could absolutely care less, you know, he, but I think he has the right to know who's going to be up in his business, you know? So letting him know who that designated person is, um, sets us up for later. If he continues to need that later in life, that he will have the understanding that there's a designated person who helps him and that if that person's not the one helping him or if it's a very different person helping him, that maybe that could set off a little alarm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you, what are some... Oh, let's go. I was just going to ask, what do you say to the babysitter? Like when you were saying, these are our expectations for how he's going to use the potty and how diaper change is going to go. Do you have specifics that you say? Like, or is... Is that more you just saying he goes at this time or something like that? Um, a little bit of both. Diaper changing is a little more straightforward, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here's the stuff. Here's you know. Um, I might I might let them know some of some of the shenanigans he might try to pull off on them. Right. <laughs> in the, you know, just some of the normal parenting stuff. But um, using the toilet is very new for us and very like we. Um, we were told that he has some spinal cord damage. So we were told that he would need to be catheterized. Um, and so I actually started worth the conversation with that being the understanding of how our life was going to go, that Ben was going to need to be catheterized and was probably going to have to go to a school across town that could accommodate that and, and would need that help for a very long time. Um, so I, but that has not been the case. Yay. Yay. 
That's awesome. Um, and he is actually doing really well um, using the potty. But um, yeah, just to get back to your answering your question, um, I'll show them exactly what the routine is. Um, let them know that he might he can pull his own pants down. Right. You know, he can sit on the potty on his own, but he probably will need help pulling his pants back up. Um, and just some verbal direction. Um, and I also want the sitter to feel comfortable with the situation as well. Right. Um, and I think that just goes again, just to parenting Mm -hmm. our children who need a little bit of extra help in those areas. But I think talking it through with them, um, and talking it through with any of the adults in your child's world lets them know that it's something you're aware of. It's something you realize is a vulnerability. And really, um, that is the most important part is letting people know that you understand your child is vulnerable and that you are, um, having these conversations. And so then in school, let's talk about schools, um, a little more specifically, like for the listener, I think a lot of kids who are school age and have Down syndrome do have AIDS. So what are, like approaching a new school year, what conversations mm-hmm. kinder through high school, whatever, and maybe it's very different, but what kind of conversations should we be having with this school officials? Um, do you feel like we need to go, like, should we be going in setting expectations? Should, how do we make sure we set our kid up for, to be as safe as possible? knowing that there's one-on-ones and speech therapists and whatever, like all those opportunities to be alone with adults. So I'm, so I'm glad that you brought up, I hadn't said this yet, but talking about the one-on-ones and opportunities to be with adults. Um, we are taught often that strangers are the ones who our children's children should be scared of. Um, and I know that's sort of a dated eighties stranger danger kind of thing, Mm -hmm. but even Micah, you talking about sending, um, your son on the bus, really being in a public space like that, where there are lots of eyes, the the eyes of the street, you know, that keep that actually keeps a child uh, safe. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the, it's the one-on-one situations, Mm -hmm. um, where another, safe adult can't intervene is where they're most vulnerable. Um, so, and, and really I'll add to that. Um, it's really anybody who's in authority, authority over the child or who they perceive is an authority over them. So that could be an older child as well. Mm -hmm. Um, just anybody who has, um, more power over them. Um, and, you know, I'm not here to fear monger, but just to give facts so that you can, you know, make decisions based on having an understanding of these things. So with school, um, asking, <laughs> give me the facts <laughs> slowly. I gotta take a sip life. of water. <laughs> no, this is good. Good stuff. <laughs> well, okay. Let me talk a little bit about, um, those unsafe adults. And how that even, you know, how does somebody abuse a child or what is it that we should be looking for? So um, when talking about perpetrators, we talk about something called um, grooming. Is that, are you familiar with that term at all? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, So this is just the adult or the older 
child, testing the boundaries, earning your child's trust, um, and really just slowly desensitizing and manipulating um, parent and child. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of this happens in one-on-one situations. So trying to isolate the child um, when it's not necessary. Um, In speech therapy, maybe what's best is for them to be on a one-on-one situation so the child's not distracted. You know, that's where they can be most Mm -hmm. successful. Um, But thinking more of situations where it's not appropriate and there's not a reason for it. Um, Somebody who's a little overly anxious to get your child in an isolated situation. Um, So just reducing those one-on-one situations is really the number one thing that you Mm -hmm. can do. Um, you know, as a parent, you always have the right to be present. You always have the right to drop by unannounced. Nobody should ever be offended by that. Um, and that's where a little education goes a long way, you know, in in just letting them know that you have this right and that you want them to be an ally with you for your child as well and keeping them safe. And, um, you know, way that we can do that is by leaving the door open during a speech session. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do have the right and should ask the school what their policies are. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at our school and in the kindergarten rooms, there's an individual bathroom in the classrooms, but after that there's not, it's just a free for all in, in what I feel like is a high school style bathroom, you know, um, I don't know what is standard in schools. I I think it varies. But um, so for kindergarten, I feel comfortable that an adult can stand outside the cracked door and coach Ben verbally. Um, But that might not be their policy. They Mm. may go in there and close the door. And, um, And I know that there are different aides kind of drifting around. I've seen aides take over for other aides. And so, you know, I, I, I would be curious to hear from somebody who, um, if this is something that you can put in the accommodations for the IEP, you know, if it should be written down, Um, I would be curious, um, you know, I was hoping to have that all set in stone by now before school starts, yeah. <laughs> but we don't have anything for our school right now. So I can't tell you what we're doing, but it will be something that I address in the IEP meeting, um, okay. that there is a standard of how he is taken to the bathroom and who does it and how they communicate that with me. Do you think it would be important in a night to add that to every IEP meeting, something about, um, I mean, I don't even know how you address it. Cause if you like, if your child doesn't need toileting, is it still, our expectation is to keep our child safe sexually. I mean, do we even like say those words in IEP mm-hmm. meeting? And therefore, we'd like to have written in that the child will not A, B, C, or D, or the, you know, what do you think about that? I've never, I've never thought about that. Yeah. Well, I think it depends on your child's ability to relay information to you. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, we want them to feel success and to have independence, right? So we don't want to hinder them from, feeling those successes, if that's something that they're capable of doing. Um, 
so I know like August is a chatty guy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so like you, you know, you, what you do for August and what I do for Ben might look a little different, mm-hmm. but I do think it's important to bring up that, um, you want to reduce isolated situations for your child, mm-hmm. whether that be with an adult or with older kids. Okay. Um, and ask, ask them some of their ideas of how, how does this work at your school? Okay. Are there, you know, wh- what are some of the ways that you think you could practically do this throughout the day? Because it is something that's important. Um, and I think that would probably look a little bit different at each school. Yeah. yeah. I have a question. Um, you brought up other kids. So I've always thought of that too, in thinking of Sunny's IP when she was, um, placed in a mild to moderate class and then they said you know recess would be like her mainstream experience and that always made me nervous too because i know that um sexual assault isn't just from an adult to a child but can be Mm -hmm. child to child Mm -hmm. and um just what kind of like tools or helpful things can you give us as far as like um i don't know like since she doesn't have a lot of verbal um, communication skills, what are things we can look out for or what can, how can we equip our kids or start a conversation naturally, um, about, um, other kiddos being appropriate and what is appropriate and what's not. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, it's totally natural for kids to explore their own bodies and be curious about other people's bodies. So I, might sound a little repetitive, (laughs) but, um, really teaching your kids about their bodies and, um, and teaching them that it's not okay for other people to touch their bodies, um, is so important. And I'll, I'll list resources. I list resources for that and talk about that on the website. But, um, so just starting out with that basic of, um, inappropriate touch, inappropriate touch. And those aren't the words that we're going to use with our kids. Mm -hmm. That's where the repetitiveness, that's where the repetitiveness of us telling them it's okay for mommy to touch here. It's not okay for other people to touch, teaching them about um, private areas versus public areas. Mm -hmm. Um, But let me get back to, (laughs) let me get back to your question about other kids. Um, It kind of goes two different ways because while there are, older kids and other children can be the perpetrators. They can also be the allies. And Mm. so having, yeah. So having our kids in a more inclusive setting, um, gives them a safe surrounding of other people who can speak up for them. Mm -hmm. So, so it goes both ways. Mm -hmm. Um, there's the safety of, uh, of the other kids who love them and understand them and want to stand up for them. Same thing with bullying, right? Right. You know, and inclusion can, we can see both sides of this. Right. (laughs) Um, but, um, we had an incident with one of our children, uh, when they were three years old, where they were alone in a playhouse with an older child who's a neighbor. Um, this was when we were, away at relative's house. So I wasn't familiar with the neighbor, neighbor child. Um, 
but our child was three and this other child was eight. And, um, my mother-in-law walked in on the eight-year-old, um, coercing Mm. our younger child, um, to pull her pants down and to look at each other's private parts. Now this, like if this had happened between two, Mm three-year-olds, that would be pretty normal thing, you Mm -hmm. know, and you would, you don't have to freak out, you know, you just never freak out in any of these situations, but you just would, would talk them through it. You know, we don't look at each other's private parts. We don't touch each other's private parts. You can ask mommy if you have any questions about private parts. Um, It's not a secret, shameful thing. Um, That's why it's important to talk openly about things. But um, we had been having these conversations with our child ever since she was, I guess, probably about two. And so um, when this happened, the older child was very much being manipulative and Mm -hmm. very much using her status to make this happen. Um, And our child right away, when my mother-in-law said what's happening, the older child denied it, denied it, denied it. And our child, because we had talked about this openly, private parts were not a thing to be ashamed of. She was able to just say what had happened. And she, um, the older child wanted her to keep it a secret and Mm. she knew that she wasn't supposed to. And, um, and that really went a long way in helping all of us heal from it, (laughs) you know, understanding that, um, our open conversation as a family, that was a firsthand experience for me to understand how important these conversations with our kids are and how important it is, even if something does happen, happen that they don't have to be ashamed about it. Um, and there are some books out there that they address things as good touch, bad touch, or, um, talk about the child saying no. And it's very important for us to teach our kids to say no, but I do think um, it's a little outdated to talk about touch in terms of being good or bad Um, Mm -hmm. because a sexual touch doesn't always feel bad. And so that can be very confusing. So just putting that out there, um, I personally avoid the good touch, bad touch way of talking about things. Um, and, and guilt has no role in any of it. Um, and, and we, we don't do secrets in our home. Um, we, we do surprises, but there's just no reason to have secrets, you know? Yeah. I heard someone interviewed who, who does a lot in this, um, field and she was talking about the culture in their home one of those setting up their family rules and a family rule is no secrets. So yeah, they do surprises, but if there's never, no one keeps secrets in the family. So not even kidding around, like go tell a little secret to grandma or whatever. It's like, Oh no, we don't do secrets. Mm-hmm. That way you set your child up so that when a perpetrator is saying, Oh, this is our secret. Then they're like, Oh wait, but our family rule is no secrets. So I like that. Right. Too. Yeah. And I've even, um, when, friends have been over and I mean that's such a typical little girl thing Mm -hmm. oh you know let's tell like telling secrets secret secrets and first of all that hurts feelings I mean that's just you know number one secrets can hurt people's feelings so we don't do that but also secrets can can be unsafe yeah Yeah. exactly what you were saying um and surprises are something that 
makes somebody happy and are fun yeah. or exciting and we don't keep inside. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. I have a question mm-hmm. and, I, and I know we're going really long here, but I, but we're going to go long friends. So you can listen to this in two parts. Um, <laughs> I, I want to talk about keeping your body safe and not shaming. And I think about this a lot because it feels really tricky with the stage we're in with our oldest because like I said earlier, she's just a little bit, she's a free bird and she just wants to be free. And as, and her body is changing so much. We're in puberty. So it is like changing. And the, like I said, the beginning, totally uninhibited. She's going to talk about her boobs. She's going to talk about her vagina. She's going to talk about her pubic hair, like no big deal. And I don't want to take that away from her. Um, but she's going to talk about it in front of her fifth rate boys. You know what I mean? Like, or she's, she has the, and here's an example. And then, and I don't want to be like, you can't do that. Like, I don't want to put shame on her body. Mm. Um, so like a real quick story in Hawaii, we were, we had met another family in a condo next door to us and they had a five-year-old daughter and the kids were hanging out and August had just a bathing suit on. So no shirt on. And Mason had just taken her bathing suit off. So she had like a loose shirt and shorts on. And the little girl says about August, what's that on your chest? Like what's that on his chest? Cause he had heart surgery and Mason has two and Mason lifts her shirt up and girlfriend has boobs now. Right. And lifts her shirt up and says, this is my scar. And so it's like, no, you can't do that, but don't be ashamed of your body. You know, like what do we, what do we do? How do I keep her safe, but not shame her? Sure. Well, um, Terry Cowenhoven has a really great book um, called Teaching Children with Down Syndrome About Their Bodies, Boundaries, and Sexuality. Mm. And so, yes. So I highly recommend reading that, first of all. Um, but I bought that last night, by the way. Did it's, you? It's, yeah, I'm, it's I'm looking tomorrow. it up right now. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's really, really great. Yeah. And she, and she touches on a lot of what we're talking about today. Um, but with worth the conversation, I really wanted to bring it to a mindset that we start when our kids are young. Yeah. Um, but Terry's book, I think every person who has a child with Down syndrome or loves a child with Down syndrome or teaches a child with Down syndrome should, um, should get this book. But, um, <clears throat> so well, let me, sorry, real quick. I just want to, part of why I asked this question too, is I feel like, and I, and I grew up in a church in a faith-based church setting. I feel like we have, we're coming out of a culture of body shame. Um, so even apart from Mason having down syndrome and even learning it myself, you know, like I want her to be so, and both of my girls, like there's no shame in what your body is and what your body does and how it looks, um, naked or not, you know? So I, like, there's that the culture of shaming your body, like covering up and all of that. I'm not saying we're going to run, run around naked, but does that make sense? Like, I just don't want my girls, my sweet girls to ever have that shame that so many girls grew up with when it comes to their body. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I've listened to a lot of those conversations about, yeah, that culture of shame and recovering from that culture of shame. And, um, I think with this one, I think the word I want to use is respect, Mm -hmm. um, learning to respect your own body and respect others' rights. So, so respect and consent, I think are the two words, um, maybe overriding the shame aspect of it. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you need to have respect for your own body, but you also need to have respect for other people. Um, 
and teaching it within that mindset. Um, and that your body is not something to be ashamed about. Um, and that's why a lot of people never disclose their abuse because of the shame involved. Um, and that's how perpetrators get people to stay quiet because Mm. they make them feel ashamed of what has happened to their own body, even though it is absolutely not their fault, has nothing to do with them. Um, so I think, so shame definitely is a very important thing to talk about, um, when we're talking about sexual abuse. Um, but I think as far as like showing your new boobs and, you know, being excited about your body changing, um, that's when teaching her to be successful and for her to respect other people that, um, we just, we, keep our private parts private mm-hmm. and maybe teaching her a different way, you know, show her your scar from the top, you know, work on mm-hmm. pulling down your mm-hmm. shirt. Cause your scar is awesome. Like right. you're so brave. Like that scar is awesome. I could you even talk about, cause that's such a good question, Heather. And I mm-hmm. was trying to think of what would I would say? And I don't know, Sunny's still little, but could you talk about the change of like becoming a woman and now in your womanly body and it's so mm-hmm. beautiful um that we do keep it private like mm-hmm. can you talk about like i feel like to like there's now there's there's a shift into womanhood right. and so we just because, yeah carry ourselves different right it was not long ago that she could just lift her shirt up you know yeah. with, mm-hmm. and, i know and that was allowed and she could right run to the door naked. I mean, we never like encouraged it, but it's like, now it is like, no, like now yesterday she was on a play date at, yeah. uh, for swimming yesterday and her friends got there before her bathing suit was on. She's like butt naked running to the door to open the door for her friends. And it's like, <laughs> so Mason, excited. you're not allowed to do that anymore. You know, like yeah. this can't happen. Yeah. Well, and that's where, you know, I, I've been trying to talk to parents of older kids, trying to get their advice too, you know, and there is information out there about puberty and healthy relationships and older kids. But yeah, I would love to hear from some older parents how they, you know, went through this. But, um, in Terry's book, trying to hold it up. She has diagrams. Oh, I love it. (laughs) So there's the diagram. Oh my gosh. There's body diagrams. (laughs) (laughs) Lindsay's holding up, Lindsay's holding up pictures, uh, from the book. The listeners can't see what's happening. So, We'll have links to all that. <laughs> the puberty, female and male body, and the post-puberty bodies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and because our kids need visuals. Right, yeah. right. Totally. So these are concrete visuals. of, And she gives exercises that you can go through. Okay. I mean, seriously, this book is great. great. She gives exercises you can go through of covering up the private parts, showing in an, in a non-shaming way, you know, just showing your body changing and you can see the differences between the two bodies. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is, I mean, that can feel unnerving to show your child this, but these are our bodies, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, I have friends who wrote a great book called, um, God made all of me. Mm -hmm. And so if that, if, you know, if that, if you, want to take that approach, um, without the shame based aspects of that, um, it's by Lindsay and Justin Holcomb. It's on my website as well, but, and really look up anything that they've done. Um, mm-hmm. they're a really awesome couple who, um, 
who are in the Christian world trying to change the way that we talk about this yeah. and trying I to have, take away the shame. I have that book also because you had recommended that. <laughs> and, we, and it's an incredible book. And I, um, oh shoot, I don't remember my train of thought here. Sorry, friends. <laughs> shoot it'll come back if you think of it if you think of it we're it's going to be time for us to move on soon to good news but um Lindsay, while heather's thinking of that is there anything else that you would want our listeners to know anything you haven't gotten to say i mean there's a million things (laughs) yeah but i'm but this is yeah the beginning of this conversation i'm so glad i really feel that um the Down syndrome community in particular is unique. We know how to advocate for our kids. And this is not something that should feel like, oh gosh, one more thing I have to do. But I want people to feel empowered to, mm-hmm. um, to ask questions, to stand up for your kids, to, um, to give our kids information that we might not think that they're able to process, but they are. Mm-hmm. Um, they really are able to process these things. And if we start early, then, um, then if our child is in an unsafe situation, they will have the tools to recognize that. And the helpers in our world will also have the tools to recognize that as well. Mm-hmm. So I go a lot more in depth, um, on worth the conversation.com. Um, it's a work in progress <laughs> for kids at home. So it's a work in progress, but, um, I also link to, there's some really great resources. Um, we hadn't talked about educating our typical kids. I mean, hopefully that goes without saying, but we should be educating our typical kids. Mm-hmm. And then, well, that's just another reinforcer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, there are some great websites, um, that are also, um, yeah, also on worth the conversation.com. Um, and if you feel uncomfortable talking about these things, I mean, order the books and read them for yourself and that'll just help you get more comfortable with this topic. Um, so that you can bring it up in more natural settings. I mean, last night around the campfire, the kids were asking, why do boys have nipples? <laughs> <laughs> so we up, why do boys have nipples? You know, yeah. that's awesome. That's good. I just learned about that, by the way. Ooh, I, why the do science have behind nipples? it. The science behind okay. it. So we'll have to, yeah, tell well, us. Oh, well, oh no, don't tell us. You but... know, listen. I just read an amazing book, ladies, called "Come as You Are." Have you heard of this book? No. It's about women, sexu- women and sexuality. Um, okay. The, I can't remember the exact science why, but oh, you know what it is. This it's because. Um, everybody starts the same before we, like before our gender is developed, like as we're in our mothers. So the nipples are just there because you might be a girl or you might be a boy. Um, (laughs) so that's my very unscientific (laughs) explanation. Well, and my, my eight-year-old also asked, well, she was eight and the doctor, we had a wonderful pediatrician who at the end of every appointment would look at our child and say, do you have any questions about your body? Mm -hmm. And she said, well, yes, actually, why do boys have nipples? (laughs) (laughs) This is an ongoing conversation in our home. And we, and he was like, oh, I've never been asked that before. That's awesome. (laughs) But yes, 
We did talk about all embryos start out with nipples. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there That's it is. Right. Now we know. We know. The more you know. Okay, real quick, because I remember my question, and I just... Oh, do it. 30-second answer. Using the term uncomfortable. So we'll say to Mason, babe, you can't show your boobs to your friend because it makes them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, that's part of our explanation. Is that, is that, should we use that vocabulary? It's not the only thing. It's not like the end all be all, but we do use that vocabulary that that makes people uncomfortable. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. I think that's fine to use. Anyway. Yeah. And, and, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because that also, um, it's important to teach our kids about feelings as well and giving them the words for different feelings okay. and uncomfortable is one that would come a little bit later, mm-hmm. which Mason is certainly old enough for, but in the initial conversations with toddlers teaching about their body parts, feelings are also a very important part of being able to, to, yeah, recognize when you feel a little off when something's not quite right. Mm-hmm. And then it, in terms of anatomy, can we call them boobs or we need to say breasts? <laughs> okay. Okay. Breast buds. That's my favorite. Breast buds is not my favorite. <laughs> breast, breast buds. Not She's my getting favorite. breast buds at this yeah. stage. American so Girl has cute. a really great book. Yes, yeah. they have a really good book. We have that one. We've got a lot of the cool. books, you guys. <laughs> awesome. we're, trying, we're trying our best here. Awesome. So, so funny. Oh, I have so many stories about people coming across our books. My sister's now husband one of our kids brought him one of our books about <laughs> safe and unsafe adults and had him read it to them. That's awesome. Oh, I love it. Good our home. Night time. Night time. It's good. I like that. You got to keep those books out. So yes. kids feel safe to get them. And it's not just like we put these away in the, in the, dark right. closet yeah. and pull right. them out when it's our special when time, it's time to talk. for the talk <laughs> yeah. um you guys i feel like we could go for so long there's Lindsay. you're you just have so many wonderful things and i feel like maybe another time we need to have you on to talk more about the conversation for older kids um but uh we are gonna jump away for a second to hear from our sponsor um, of today's episode. And then we're going to be back for some good news. And Lindsay, we would love for you to stay with us and share your own good news in a second. All right, let's take a break. We are back friends and it is time for some, let's have some good news. Let's have some good news. Let's have some good news. <laughs> I need, I need, like, I'm doing the bass here. I need some trouble. I, I, I went way high. Some trouble. Thank you. you. Some trouble. Mercedes, someday. Mer- Mer- I Mercedes don't even in the know middle. how to jump in on Mercedes, that. Mercedes, you're the harmony. <laughs> harmony. <laughs> uh, oh, Let's have some good news. Bum, bum, bum. It's good news time, friends. <laughs> it's time for good news. <laughs> So Lindsay is here with us and we would love to hear what your good news is right now um, with Ben and what you're celebrating in his life right now. Yes. Well, we are at this wonderful mountain resort and with um, some great friends of ours and um, Ben and there's some awesome pools and Ben is just floating around with his puddle jumper and having a good old time. And I mean, He used to aspirate water. I mean, this was a kid who Mm. could not, he would drown in an inch of water. So it's so, it's like, he feels so 
proud of himself and we're yeah. so proud of him and I can just kind of sit on the edge and watch him float around. So that's, that's been huge for us. That's so that is awesome. Such good news. Yes. Go Ben. Go Ben. Go Ben. Um, okay. And we have some good news from our followers. Uh, Tete Morrow. She wrote in, or he, we'll see. She, I know. She, I know you her. know her? <laughs> okay. Um, hi, Tay-Tay. <laughs> um, she says, woohoo, I have good news. We started feeding George baby cereal last week, and he has transitioned like a rock star. He isn't having any issues with swallowing or texture, and it's giving him some cute chubby cheeks. So fun. So she- George is adopted, and they were at Dear Mom conference oh, with yes. one of the brand oh, new, yes. like a couple weeks old. It was Cove and George with those tiny yes. babies, remember? Yeah, that's okay, George. Okay, I remember Tay-Tay. Yes. <laughs> um, and then I have a good news here from Kelsey Mayton on Instagram, and she says, my daughter just learned how to use the toy car. Woo-hoo. Unfortunately, she's mo- not mastered the steering. But that's a real thing to learn how to figure out how to use those toys. Yes. <laughs> Good job, girl. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm excited because I have one from um, a woman who I've gotten to know from my hometown. And we got to hang out and I got to hold her her baby for until he fell asleep. So for like oh. 25 minutes. Thank that's you. Really so this nice. is um, Joanna Kimberly W., And she says, I am over the moon in love with my little guy who will be six months old on exactly the day that one year ago I found out he would have Down syndrome. A devastating, at the time, diagnosis has broken, molded, and shaped my heart to be so much bigger and fuller than it was a year ago. I am so proud of the mountains he has already climbed with two surgeries this year, and I know he will be such a champ through the last two he will have this coming fall. Thank you for being a light to what seemed like a dark world world for me. But what he has revealed to me is that I just had blinders on, not acknowledging all the beauty that is outside my tunnel vision I had for my life. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you, Joanna, for sharing that. And I, I can say that her little guy is a dream. So what we just love that all of you are out there and we love celebrating with you. Um, and as always, friends, we want to hear your good news about your loved ones with Down syndrome. So leave us a voicemail. Our number is 424-442-9147. And share your good news or do what our friends have done today and send them to our Instagram. Um, and you can also email hello at the Lucky Few Podcast. If you have a product or business that wants to help us shout the worth of our loved ones with Down syndrome. So partner with us, get in touch with us and share your um, good news as well. So we just want to give a huge thank you to our editor and producer, Andy Lara, to our co-producer, Val Schleider, to our sponsor, and to all of you who have shared the Lucky Few podcast with friends and who have listened faithfully and cheered us on. Lindsay, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for the work you're doing. And just to our listeners out there, we will have notes to all the books she shared, notes, um, links to her to Lindsay's website and um, links to articles that that would be helpful. So go find our show notes. And don't forget, friends, to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. 
And remember that you, dear listeners, supporting your loved one with Down syndrome, you are a shouter of worth and a narrative shifter. So keep on keeping on. We are cheering for you. And we'll see you all next Monday on the Lucky Few Podcast. Bye. Bye, friends. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Lucky Few Podcast. Remember to review our show on Apple Podcasts and check us out on all social media at the Lucky Few Pod. You can also support the show now via Anchor.fm just by going to the website, scroll down to the bottom, and you can begin your support right now. Lastly, send us your good news by going to theluckyfewpodcast.com and sending us a message via text, voicemail, or email. See you next time. Bye.